Live at WCBN.org. 15 seconds remain. Hunwick has it. Forward to Tambellini. Tambellini, he'll shoot. Save there, and the rebound comes to Hunwick. Six ends remain. Tambellini shoots and scores. It comes around to Jeff Tambellini at the near side circle with 5.3 seconds remaining. Tambellini gives the Wolverines a 6-5 lead. Hey, this is Beth from S3, the safe sex store. You're listening to... I'm simply wild about my good cocaine. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm troubled to say. My blackbirds are bluebirds now. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And it seems like a lifetime (laughs) since last week with all this adventurous weather we've been having in Michigan and other places. Roller coaster, to say the least. (laughs) The uh, polar vortex. Yeah, that got a lot of news this week, and uh, believe you me. It definitely slowed business down. Yeah. It slowed everything down. I think that's one actual good thing about snow like that. Sometimes it gives us a moment to pause about what's actually important in life. And in these kinds of weather conditions and road conditions and whatnot, and even sidewalk conditions, safety emerges as a very important concept for living I think yeah. it's a little more important than Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, on the, since you've gone ahead and mentioned uh, sidewalks, I just wanted to put a brain damage award out there for all the downtown businesses. Banks. <laughs> banks. <laughs> all sorts of places who never shoveled their sidewalks. Yeah. I mean, Bizarre. It's just, uh, I mean, that's a civic responsibility. I don't know if people are waiting for the city itself to come along and scrape off the sidewalks. That's not going to happen. They just barely do the roads. In fact, because of parking in Ann Arbor, a lot of the uh, parking disappears when you get a heavy snow because they can never plow right up to the curb because there's always cars parked there. Yeah, and I was driving a cab Tuesday night, and boy, that turned out to be a mistake. It was dangerous out there. 94 was about 10 miles of pure ice they even shut 75, I-75 yep. down near Monroe uh, that night. So it uh, definitely, uh, it's weird how one week has been, seems so long. Well, with the extra cold uh, temperature, you know, makes it seem longer. But as for the media's approach that this is either connected to 
global warming, which I have never liked that term. I prefer climate change. Uh, it, it's not. I mean, even Michigan didn't set uh, any uh, substantive records that I know about um, for those dates. It's interesting that the New York Times weather map uh, for the year 2013 came out on Sunday, January 5th. Kind of fascinating to look at the continental United States that shows that it was uh, warmer in some spots, cooler in others. And, of course, one of the areas of the country that was below normal, and I attribute this mainly to the month of December, was the Montana, North Dakota, Upper Minnesota, uh, South Dakota, Iowa uh, area. Um, and uh, it's yeah, usually when you see, fairly cold there, but they just got more extended blasts. They did. They had they had uh, some blasts in in mid December when it, we were balmy in the sixties. And uh, it's interesting that uh, you know when you when you read Fargo's uh, 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 weather uh, forecast, I've always you know we all appreciate Fargo the movie, mm. Coen Brothers movie. I guess they've got a new one out that's uh, well regarded once again. This is fascinating from. Sunday, um, January 5th, I just wanted to read this. Uh, high, this is uh, Saturday, because they have a yesterday, today, and tomorrow forecast. High, 6 below. Low, uh, 30 below. High for Sunday, 25 below. Low, uh, 32 below. <laughs> high for uh, the Monday, 25 below. Low, 37 below. That's cold. So we had it lucky here in Michigan, and one of the fascinating things to me about that Arctic blast or polar vortex or whatever you want to call it was the fact that Michigan was warmer than parts of Indiana and Ohio, and that is because of the phenomena of the Great Lakes. The water actually does keep us warmer in the winter a little bit, not much, and that result is we get lake effect snow. Mm -hmm. But when you look at the major cities of the United States, most were uh, a little above normal. 2013 was uh, averaged 52.54 degrees in the continental United States, 0.46 degrees above normal. This ranks as the 36th warmest, warmest on record since they've been keeping reliable records since 1895. And fascinating to see the month of uh, New York City. Because New York City actually set two record highs. Uh, they uh, recorded 71 degrees in Central Park on uh, the solstice, and the day before was also a record high of 65. So while it was much colder... That's the winter solstice. The winter solstice. <laughs> not, the, not the summer. Uh, if you look at New York's records, you can see that it was uh, above normal for the most part. And uh, one other interesting note of the weather map, the gigantic weather weather map for 2013, is how dry California is. Scary dry out there. They're doing major, major things with the Colorado River. And this is supposed to be their rainy season. Lake Mead is uh, coming down to one of their all-time lows, and there are going to be serious water problems related to the Colorado River Basin. Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Chinatown. <laughs> One other uh, interesting note was there was a part of southeastern, the southeastern United States where Atlanta had a serious drought a couple of years ago. 
and they've had a little recovery. Well, so much for the weather. Well, on a related note, though, and you mentioned, you know, preferring the phrase uh, climate shift over global warming. The lead story on the uh, New York Times uh, online today is rising sea levels. Yes. And this is a major story. I mean, this is one of those creeper stories that, uh, well, these are the basic facts. Uh, They've been measuring the tides gauging the strength, the regularity, the height of the water, and so forth, uh, since 1850 on a systematic scientific basis. And uh, while the record is not perfect, I'm quoting here from the article, scientists say it leaves no doubt that the world's oceans are rising. Best calculation suggests that from 1880 to 2009, global average sea level rose a little over eight inches. Eight inches might not seem like a lot, but uh, how many more inches will it take before it's too much? Well, and there are parts of the United States that are going to be very vulnerable if the sea does indeed rise even two feet. Parts of Chesapeake Bay will have to be uh, surrendered back to nature if, uh, you know, in in the light of future storms that are going to come along. Yeah. Erosion is a very high rate there. I know that the... The big city at the moment that's sort of in the most immediate danger is Norfolk, uh, Virginia, that's in that region. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are serious problems with Miami. <laughs> uh, I don't know if all those hotels on the beach are going to survive uh, in 50 to 75 years. So, uh, Lex Luthor, where are you? <laughs> Who's buying up worthless property in <laughs> inland Florida? <laughs> Who knows? Right, yeah. But, uh, yeah, the New York Times actually had a very interesting article about two months ago, I'll have to bring that in, showing the vulnerability of certain cities regarding this two feet, uh, two to three feet uh, ocean sea rise. And I know there are parts of England now that are being uh, washed away. I heard a report just a couple of days ago on the BBC about uh, a part of eastern uh, England, uh, east of London, that abuts the North Sea that's... uh, they're just surrendering to it. They've been filling it in for years and years with the uh, classic British beach of these round pebbles that, that don't make uh, hanging out on the beach all that fun. Don't have that nice sand like Michigan. Well, and that's the uh, the other thing that the. But they're giving up on it. They're let, yeah. letting uh, a good. 500, I can't remember whether it was 500 or 5,000 acres, just they're letting it, they're letting the sea in because they yep. can't keep saving this, quote, farmland because it's uh, going to be restored to uh, wetlands, marsh, yeah, to protect uh, from surges. And uh, we were fortunate this year uh, in the continental United States, by the way, in which there was not one named hurricane. It actually hit us. There were plenty of hurricanes, but they tended to hit the Caribbean or Mexico. So uh, stay tuned. <laughs> and don't take the polar vortex as any sign one way or another. No, more dangerous than the polar vortex are the uh, chemical spills in West Virginia, which, by the way, uh, are uh, the the fault of a company named Freedom industry. Yeah, you gotta love that. Uh, and of course, what freedoms do they enjoy? Well, uh, a largely unregulated traffic in a volatile material, um, highly profitable, highly dangerous to those. And of course, we've had our own toxic plumes here 
in Ann Arbor. So uh, we know all about this, but uh, what is it? Uh, how many people had their uh, water uh, turned off? Like 300,000 people 300, had no tap water. Nine counties. Uh, this is part of the uh, euphemism known as clean coal. Coal, of course, is uh, surrendering its, its uh, energy importance to the United States uh, as we frack for natural gas. In North Dakota, uh, friendly confines of North Dakota. Of course, North Dakota had a massive uh, train accident a couple weeks ago connected to the fracking. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was actually a derailed agriculture car that apparently left some debris on the the tracks. And then a train full of uh, fuel hit it and blew up. And there was a fire. The city had to be evacuated. So in recent weeks, we've seen a couple of serious uh, disasters connected to fossil fuels that uh, make us wonder why we're not going uh, full blast on uh, solar and wind. Renewable energy uses as little fossil fuel as possible, but obviously in terms of the mix of electricity, we we still need uh, these uh, fossil fuels to... uh, light our houses and recharge our cell phones (laughs) and of course the coal uh the united states can still export plenty of coal to china uh china's uh environmental situation (laughs) is laughable is laughable i mean they're wearing gas laugh at it but it's i mean it's dangerous and scary yeah i talked to a guy who just uh visited china and uh, he was shocked yeah uh just shocked well, you, you, if you visit, you may you may want to bring one of those gas masks with you because uh, the, Shanghai carry a wet towel in your pocket and Beijing, yeah, or yeah, have the have the ever reliable cotton bandana. Um, yeah, scary. I mean, uh, alerts. Don't go outside. Well, it's I think kind of where everything is. <laughs> You know, and and as somebody as a joke, I think set up a stand where they sold canned air. <laughs> um, but these environmental problems are, alas, I don't think being addressed head on. There's too much focus on GNP. Uh, you know, moving moving the ball forward in terms of of. Just nothing but economics, but you have to look at uh, some of the side effects of this uh, uh, relentless uh, focus on growth. Uh, and when, yeah, when major cities like Shanghai and Beijing are given uh, air alerts where people are told not to go outdoors, that's pretty frightening. Those are enormous cities. <laughs> They're larger than New York City at this point. Uh, scary. Oh, it's. I mean, at the very least, it's going to put a. It's going to seize up the uh, engines of industry. I mean, yeah. Stay home. Well, you got to go to work. Well, and if production workers have to work with gas masks on, yep. uh, that's going to damage productivity. <laughs> Better get uh, um, Marco Rubio on the on the on the job. Of course, uh, Marco Rubio uh, declared this past week, we'll give him a brain damage award, that the uh, war on poverty is a failure. Uh, wrong. Uh, the war on poverty actually worked not as, well as, not as well as it could have. But No, but it's made a major difference in uh, millions of lives. Yeah. Uh, and in some cases saved uh, hundreds of thousands of children. Yeah, and, and the other 
group that's really benefited from the quote war on poverty um, are uh, the elderly. Mm-hmm. Uh, those those poverty rates amongst elderly people have declined massively because of the social insurance uh, uh, programs of the United States government. And of course, there was a lot in the news this week about this because of the 50th anniversary of the uh, of Lyndon Johnson announcing the war on poverty. Um, but I, I think that the social data shows that uh, it was a mixed success. Not everything was a success, but uh, uh, many of the poverty programs that were started under uh, uh, JFK were actually inspired by the uh, famous uh, social scientist Michael Harrington, mm-hmm. the Other America. And uh, in one of the sort of key moments in the 1960 primary that that led to the nomination of John F. Kennedy was when uh, he and Bobby visited West Virginia. And, of course, they were uh, wealthy people. They had beach houses uh, up and down the coast, thanks to their father, who uh, made his money in mysterious ways. And invested wisely. Invested wisely, and... uh, well, he was a he was a talented businessman. He he made some money in the, in Hollywood mm. as well, but uh, bootlegging certainly seems to have been part of it. Uh, in any event, they were uh, profoundly moved by the poverty that they witnessed firsthand, and uh, did inspire some of the anti-poverty programs that uh, that, that they started, and LBJ was uh, able to execute. Um, I'm, I guess, uh, perhaps it's unfortunate that LBJ used the word war on poverty, uh, because, uh, the United States, as we well know, has had way too many wars (laughs) and many of them haven't turned out well. Well, and oftentimes those who end up, uh, imprisoned are amongst the, the poor. So it... Yeah, awkward phrasing. But Marco Rubio probably has is seizing a moment uh, as he's witnessed a little bit of uh, of the tarnish <laughs> of uh, the Jersey girl who was in the news, of course, with this bizarre uh, <laughs> press conference, two hours long. Uh, mea culpa, I didn't know. Cover up. I mean, the whole scheme is so harebrained. I don't get it. I, I don't understand. You know, for gosh sakes, there's traffic jams all over New Jersey to begin with. Why you need to create more traffic jams is beyond me. Well, just out of a petulant fit, uh, particularly. Uh, the, the whole thing is ridiculous. But, I mean, the, in third world countries, this sort of uh, being able to blame somebody for traffic jams, I guess, is uh, politically more effective. But I, I'm a little unclear how that works in the United States. <laughs> I don't know that people blame politicians for traffic jams or, well, the, the, you know, the, the scheme itself sounded so strange that it's it it borders on like, OK, what were you thinking? Where was this concocted? Was this well, like a fraternity <laughs> is what's damned them? And it is yeah. sort of a fraternity prank yeah. uh, mindset at play here. Uh, we're going to get those guys good. You know, they stole our school pig. Right. So, uh <laughs> Um, but I don't think Chris Christie was ever going to be a national public figure. No, I I, I, I have my doubts about that myself. Yeah, but. I mean, I just don't think that he was uh, going to be even nominated uh, to be uh, the GOP's candidate for president. And, and if he were to go that far, 
Uh, he'd never win, uh, just for a number of reasons, mostly personality-based. Yeah, and it's interesting. There was a, a prominent book, and I forget the—it's uh, it, a co, co-authored book, uh, John Heilman and— I forget the other co-author that that said basically talked about the 2012 campaign and noted that Mitt Romney's campaign had mm. vetted Christie, something that John McCain didn't seem to do uh, very effectively in 2008 with uh, Ms. Palin, Miss um, Moose. Uh, but uh, they found quite a number of problems with Christie being a VP uh, candidate, so he was struck from the record <laughs> uh so you know it's a kind of an interesting development because it seems that the you know the the theory was that christie you know because he just won a a re-election campaign with a with a rather rather large uh majority uh would would be an effective republican uh candidate to win some of the toss-up blue states purple states possibly went in, you know, New Jersey, Pennsylvania kind of thing because he's a anti-politician. He's a kind of a, you know, tells it like it is. As it turns out, he's, he's more of a smoke-filled back room, you know, yeah. old-style boss. Right. With a bunch of uh, hacks who will do anything to please. So I, I don't think the scandal is trivial as it is because I think it is a bit of a pseudo-scandal. Yeah. But... You know, the look, people wasting gas and time in traffic jams strikes me as uh, exceedingly counterproductive. I guess it bolsters global warming and GDP in a kind of perverse sort of way because people have to spend more money buying gasoline while they idle in traffic, uh, hence making their um, electronic devices now fully equipped in many of the newer automobiles all that more useful. But uh, right. but it's, it's how, the, how uh, you hold the quote Serbian mayor of you know it turns out he was Croatian but what the Jersey City mayor or the, 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 uh, the Fort Lee the, oh the Fort Lee well, yeah, the, the Jersey Lee. City guy uh, who's also a Democrat uh, they had made an effort to court him as like hey you want to endorse me you know get some Democrats to endorse me uh, and when Stephen Fulop the Democratic mayor of uh, Jersey City declined. Uh, they uh, canceled a bunch of uh, scheduled meetings, um, uh, mayoral meetings, mm -hmm. uh, and made these things that Fulop had been sort of the driving motivator behind. Uh, Christie's people sort of undid all those arrangements to get back at this guy who is a uh, Iraq war vet. So that's going to play well in the next election. Yeah. Well, Christie is now dubbed the Jersey girl. Maybe he can... Make a guest appearance on the He's Jersey been Shore. He's in his uptown world. <laughs> With Snooky. <laughs> Who's more qualified to be the vice presidential candidate, Snooky or Sarah Palin? <laughs> Inquiring minds want to know. <laughs> well, let's see here. It's about uh, 6.53. You're listening to Gray Matters on WCBN, and... Uh, well, he finally died. General Francisimo Franco uh, is still dead, and so now, too, is Ariel Sharon. Yes, indeed. And, of course, this uh, was inevitable. He had suffered a stroke uh, quite a number of years, years ago. Eight years ago? Eight years ago, yeah. Shows what modern medicine can do to keep you alive, because uh, it sounds like he was probably pretty much gone, as yeah. they say.
Well, it's in a somewhat, coma. somewhat ridiculous for his son to uh, claim that he chose when to die. Yeah. Ariel Sharon hasn't made any choices in uh, a little over eight years. Well, uh, and it was fascinating to kind of listen to media coverage about his, quote, controversial reputation um, and this, quote, theory that he'd sort of moved to the center at this uh, Kadima party that he had founded in sort of a break with Netanyahu, mm -hmm. uh, represented Sharon, uh, the moderate. Uh, I think what it really uh, underscores is how extreme Netanyahu is, exactly. if anything. Uh, so I, I don't know that Netanyahu benefited from all this focus. Goldwater became a moderate in this country, not by shifting himself, but by the landscape around him, shifting yeah. further right. Indeed. Same with uh, Sharon and Netanyahu. And, of course, Sharon uh, had a distinguished military career. I think that's objectively uh, safe to say. But uh, certainly his controversial uh, move into Lebanon uh, in 1982 was uh, a disaster for Israel. It's interesting that he became the scapegoat for that policy. Mm -hmm and was ousted in the cabinet in February of 1983 on a 16-to-1 vote, reading from the obituary written by Ethan Broner here in the New York Times on Sunday. Mr. Sharon, uh, as the defense minister... Uh, under Menachem Begin, if yeah, I remember right. under correctly. Menachem Begin, uh, was the sole dissenting vote. Mm -hmm. He voted against his own ouster, 16-to-1, it's interesting that he was the scapegoat for that. And, of course, uh, the military, uh, the early military aspects of this operation worked quite well for Israel uh, in theory, but it was the occupation and the problematic uh, factionalism in, in Lebanon mm -hmm. that was the problem. This, of course, led to Israel essentially occupying uh, Beirut. Uh, they were forced out after the uh, Sabra and Shatila massacres in which the... Which uh, were committed by uh, phalangists. Christian phalangists. Christian phalangists in yeah. Lebanon, but under the auspices of Israeli supervision. Yeah, they sort of opened the door. Right. Uh, they didn't Israelis stop. controlled that uh, piece of yeah. the turf and didn't and do anything to stop It's kind of like opening the barn door and letting the cows through. Oh, the cows went out into the pasture. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. Well, actually, uh, the, the commission that investigated this um, very interesting, by the way, that the Falangist uh, party, uh, led by the Jamil brothers at the time, their father uh, visited Nazi Germany mm. uh, in 1936. And this is part of the very complicated Middle East political uh, factionalism. Well, connections to Franco, we jokingly mentioned him earlier, but that's a Falangist movement as well. Yeah. And um, I'm trying to find this actual thing here. It says uh, in the in the obituary, Time magazine reported that Mr. Sharon had actually urged Jamil, the Jamil family, to uh, have its troops take revenge on Palestinians for uh, the death of Mr. Jamil. One of the brothers was assassinated before these massacres. Time magazine said that uh, Mr. Sharon uh, made this point during his condolence visit to the family. It claimed further that the secret appendix in the Kahan Commission report made this clear. This is in the appendix of the 
Israeli investigation into these massacres called the Kahan Commission report that essentially fingered Sharon's as the responsible party involved. And, of course, Sharon's other uh, controversial uh, maneuver was entering the temple that led to the Second Intifada. Mm -hmm. Uh, This obituary, unfortunately, doesn't mention too much about this, but it it does, I think, round out Sharon a little bit, demonstrating that he was a little more practical than he appeared uh, publicly sometimes, that he actually was willing to cut deals on occasion, that he wasn't quite as hardline as his public persona. Um, so I think that's an interesting thing. And I found it also fascinating that he got his sort of military uh, promotion uh, in the 1950s as sort of a favorite of David Ben-Gurion, who, of course, was the labor leader. And until Begin took over uh, in, uh, I believe, 77, technically, um, as the leader of the Knesset, labor had dominated um, Israeli politics, and the labor movement in Israel following the creation was essentially a kind of interesting mix of uh, kibbutzism and Zionism and other uh, philosophies. Um, and Sharon grew up on a mm-hmm. uh, kibbutz. So it was interesting. Just want to let you know that uh, Andrew's been our ever-reliable engineer this evening. You are listening to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly or immediately. Shortly. Um... So Sharon, uh, you know, split with Netanyahu, uh, creating this Kadima party. Uh, he briefly served as prime minister um, and then turned the reins over to uh, Ehud Olmert, uh, who served and later was kind of implicated in a, in a sort of a bribery money scandal of his own. Uh, I don't think that Sharon was corrupted by money, but he certainly uh, led an interesting life. Indeed. Uh, and now we... Okay, well, that's it this week for Gray Matters. Stay tuned to Yazoo City Calling and to WCBN-FM Ann Arbor for all your listening pleasures. Jabo Williams in the background doing jab blues, telling you it's time for Yazoo City Calling here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Jerry Mack, your host this evening for an hour long excursion into the land of Delta blues and early urban blues, performed and lived by the men and women who started it all. This recording by Jabo, part of a collection of Paramount recordings reissued on the Magpie label out of England. Uh, Jabo from Birmingham, Alabama, and recorded these Paramount sides right around 1932. 
and uh, as is a lot of the music on here, it's uh, 